the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. All right, here we are. Episode 11. Xavier, welcome back. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you again in the flesh. Good to be back. And, oh, that's a really awkward, I'm going to keep the music going for a little bit here. Um, we have what I want to call really our first real guest. And especially for me, me and Xavier, our first real guests, Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Dude, of course it's this. I talked about you in the episode before this about, um, how, all right, now I'm going to fade this music out of here. I talked about how, um, you'd emailed, you'd emailed the anti- this is a great this is a great uh opportunity for a shout out for our, our email. The anti podcast at gmail.com. You had emailed us first person. It's very, very excited about that and um and also that uh I I took forever to get back to you. So I I made a I said it on a podcast that I knew that I needed to reach out to you and get you on. So super excited for that. Um, happy to be here. Good. Well maybe before we really dive into our our topic, we uh, we both just love to hear just just some facts about you. What's your major? What what are you passionate about? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'm here at Bethel with you guys. Obviously, uh, I'm majoring in biblical and theological studies as well as business marketing. Mm. So kind of an interesting combo. Let me ask you then: What do you What's your, what's your goal? What do you see yourself with those degrees? Right. So I think ultimately uh, I feel the Lord calling me towards ministry. So that's my end goal. But I see uh, the business degree is something to kind of give me some stability right after college. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if I were to go straight to seminary after college, I'd graduate as like, you know, a 24 year old. And dang. Yeah, I don't want to be that young going into ministry. I kind of want more life experience. And I feel like that's where, uh, you know, God is calling me. So right after college, planning on getting a job um, in the business world mm. and um, gaining some experience, some stability, and then going back to seminary and eventually going into ministry. So I'm awesome. really passionate about just seeing people understand the Bible more and having them understand God more and just having that transform their lives. Cause I know for me, it's just like the best thing ever. Totally. It's like, man, fresh, a uh, drink of fresh water when you yeah. just, you know, understand something about God. Well, I feel like that really leads us into what we're here to talk about, because I think this is, this is a topic that you, you had suggested that you wanted to talk about. And I think that that really speaks to, just your heart for this is an this this is an important topic and timely and it it's about God. And so right. I think that really really encompasses that. So, Xavier, what are we what are we talking about today? We are talking about justice and mercy 
Attributes of God. Ooh, that's a good title. That, that might be the title right there. Maybe. And so I think it's a good idea to kind of start out and define, like biblically, define what justice and mercy like are. What are they? Mm. Right. Um, I would say like justice, uh, just like an overall picture, justice would be someone getting what they rightfully deserve or getting what is due to them. And like that could be either good or bad. Like justice is giving someone a good thing that they deserve or giving someone a bad thing that they deserve because of their actions. Um, Before we did this, uh, before we all came together, we decided Mm -hmm. that we wanted to read Lamentations. And just in like the first chapter, there's a few really good examples of that. Like, okay, so Lamentations 1.5 says, this is right after the city of Jerusalem was sacked by the invading army and the temple was defiled and the city was just in utter ruin. And Lamentations 1.5 says, for the Lord has caused her, that's Jerusalem, grief because of the multitude of her transgressions. And you see this kind of, the Lord has given this bad thing to Jerusalem because Jerusalem had sinned so greatly. No, I think that that perfectly that perfectly puts it. There's there's a cause and there's an effect. And yeah. So counter to that, mercy on the other hand is I would say the having the ability to give someone what they deserve and then not doing it. So like as a parent having mercy on their child, like their child messes up. The parent has the ability give them this a wicked cruel punishment but they could have mercy and give them like either a lesser or no punishment at all Mm. and so um one set of verses i really like is ephesians chapter 2 1 through 5 uh verses 1 through 3 is basically just setting up the sin that we have we might read the whole thing later but 4 and 5 i think really give insight into what mercy is But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And so it describes God as being rich in mercy. And because of this mercy, this is what he's doing. He is not giving you what you deserved, which was death through sin, but instead um, offering this life together with Christ. I feel like having heard the heard what we're putting forward, as, you know, as these you know pr- fairly simple definitions of you know what justice and mercy looks like, God, what what how God acts. It seems it seems to me that they contradict each other. What would you wh- what do you guys what do you guys think as far as the relationship between justice and mercy and and um, how that how that interacts with God in in God. I think first it's important to note whether one God does have in fact both of these attributes mm. because I was talking with someone today and they told me a really good thing. When you take away an attribute of God, you make yourself God. And I think that really rings true of when we don't take God for what we for what He is, 
we're trying to prop ourselves up so that we don't have to bend to the like so that we don't have to obey that creator we'll be mm-hmm. we're obeying something else and so first we have to know does god have these attributes before we can say how do how do we like how do we ration these two attributes that seem to contradict each other mm. Mm, yeah i love that that's um i mean the tension is right there just in the opening verse that you read Exodus 34, 6 through 7, it says that um, the Lord is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. But then it says, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and the fourth generations. And it's like, well, which is it? Does he forgive mm-hmm. iniquity or does he punish iniquity? Totally. Well, and I think it maybe it's just important to note because I think some people will just will quickly, someone who's not a Christian is going to quickly say, well, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're not taking that verse into account, we've really just got an Old Testament God who, who judges and we have a New Testament God who gives mercy, and they're not the same. God changes somehow, or they're two different gods, um, some of those things. I think that that's maybe a common risk. I don't know if this is something that you guys hear often, but that's definitely something that I've, I've heard is, you know, something along those lines of what I've just said. Right. So I, I have a question, or kind of a question response sort of to that. So I was looking through the book of John and I found two instances of Jesus either displaying justice or displaying mercy. I don't think you see Jesus necessarily giving what's due to people a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like mercy, uh, in John 8, the woman who was caught in adultery. Um, This isn't found in the earliest manuscripts, but it's the story of where the woman's caught in adultery and it's, they're, they're supposed to stone her. And Jesus basically says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And they all leave one by one. And he's like, where are all the people? He's like, I do not condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Mm. And so he's displaying rich mercy there on that woman. But then you have in John 2, the cleansing of the temple. And he goes into the temple and there are all the merchants, all the merchants there that he drives out with a whip saying, this is my father's house. And so there he is clearly displaying an act of justice in getting rid of those mm-hmm. merchants who are in the temple. Right. Well, it seems like that with Jesus there, it's based on like the circumstance mm-hmm. is maybe an interesting thing, but I wonder is that the same for God is his judgment or mercy that he gives? Is that based on the circumstance? That's a really good, really good question. Because if you think about specifically Jesus cleansing the temple, that has a very rich history, like in the book of Jeremiah, which is the context of lamentations, how there were, 
priests and um, the prophets who were in the temple. And they were saying, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And that's what, and they were at the same time committing so many sins. And they were going to the temple and saying, oh, we're cleansed, we're good. But in reality, they were just sinning and sinning and sinning. And that's actually the um, thing that Jesus quotes. He says, this is my father's house and it is to be a house of prayer, but you've made it into a robber's den. Mm -hmm. That's the same. That's from Jeremiah. (coughs) Amen. No, it's it's an interesting thing. I, I think, I guess I'm curious what you guys would say is is the kind of relationship in God that these attributes have, is that something that is kind of beyond us in this life? Or is it something that there's some way to parse out, you know, this um, these distinctions or how he acts how he acts? I, <clears throat> I don't know if you can... Or I can't think of anything off the top of my head to basically distinguish it because it's all up to him. It's by his grace that we have been saved and whether or not he displays justice or mercy to us. But I also believe that there are times where justice is merciful. Mm. And I I also want to pose a question of can mercy, can biblical mercy, according to God, exist without his justice? No. Why? I think I would say no, just instinctively, because <clears throat> I think I think it's, to me, this, this, like, you know, shows the relationship, maybe, between these things, is, okay, well, justice is getting what you deserve, in mercy, in, in a way, it is taking away the thing that you deserve. There has to be this, like with us as, you know, mankind. God has given us the law of what, what, we, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. By breaking the law, he has said, this is what the punishment is. The, the penalty of sin is death. And so... I deserve death. It is only because I deserve death that Christ can give me life. Right. And so I guess that that really shows that just an interesting thing to me because personal speaking personally, I am thankful and I want to give God glory and worship for what he did for me on the cross. Mm. But I think at a certain point intellectually, I'm like, I don't deserve this. I didn't earn it because it's complete grace because it's this complete mercy. It almost, it almost feels out of character for God to take on flesh, come into the world, die for my sins when he was already set to, you know, condemn me, pour his wrath out on me for my sin, which he was just and right to do. Mm-hmm. And so it, I, I don't want to go so far to say it, that the, the gospel is a contradiction in the nature of God or, you know, something crazy, but it does seem 
at the very least to me out of the ordinary and I'm very thankful. <laughs> I'm very <laughs> thankful that that he would take action in such a you know seemingly unorthodox way and do something like this. And I, and I think that it's part of his nature, but it but it seems like kind of following me like that tension there that just mm-hmm. is is interesting to me and kind of challenging intellect maybe more intellectually than it is you know spiritually for me I'm not going to throw I'm I have not and will not just throw everything away because this doesn't make sense or something but right and I mean if you think about it like in the sense that like Jesus his death on the cross was the absolutely perfect display of both God's justice and mm-hmm. his mercy at the same time. I like like Romans, Romans 3, 23 through 6, I think ties it up really well. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. This is mercy language. Verse 25, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at this present time so that he would be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Ethan, Theology major. What does the word propitiation mean? Whoa, that's a okay. I I'm gonna I'm gonna take a stab at it, and then I, because you are also a Bible major, or both of you, you can tell me if I'm wrong. I'm trying to remember here because. Uh, oh man, I'm completely I'm like completely lost. It's like something plus another thing, right? And it's um, propitiation. It's it's like paying for. I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I'm, I think I'm you're trying to. I'm really trying to remember, <laughs> but I don't remember. No, it's you, something to do with. I mean, it's like paying for wrath, or I don't know exactly. So I cheated here. I looked it up on Google. It they says, don't have to know that. They don't have to know that. <laughs> only audio here. We, we can edit that out. Right? <laughs> it says the action of propitiating or appeasing a god, spirit, or person. Mm. So. In one sense, Jesus appeased the wrath of God for Mm -hmm. us. And I think this is something that's really lost a lot of times. Mm. Like if you think about it, every single person has sinned and fallen short of the the glory of God. That's verse 23. Every single one of us deserves wrath. That's what Mm. it says in Ephesians 2, that we are by nature children of wrath. But what's so amazing about the gospel is that Jesus stood in our place in the judgment of God so that God demonstrated his mercy towards us, that Jesus paid the price for our sins, and he also displayed his justice in the fact that every single sin that was ever committed was laid on Jesus and was punished in in our place. Jesus was punished in our place. And in that way, that tension is kind of resolved because in one sense, God can forgive iniquity but at the same time, he never leaves one sin unpunished. Totally. Because if you think about it, every single sin will be punished. And it's either going to be punished by Christ on the cross or for an eternity in hell. So maybe that happened then. But after that, you know, if I'm, if 
I'm having a bad day. I heard someone say this before, but like, I can't worship, you know, both the God of mercy and the God of justice. Like after, after Jesus died on the cross, like the God of justice, like doesn't exist anymore. Like that was, that was before the veil was torn. Really funny, Xavier. <laughs> really, that was a very good satire voice, just to say. I mean, I do, th- I do, I do hear it where it's like, oh, well, the God of justice is gone now; he's been satisfied, and so now it's only the God of mercy that we see. But I think that it goes exactly back to what Andrew was just saying that not one sin, still yet, you know, goes unpunished. And I, I think that the challenge for me and it should, the challenge for Christians is. We're reading scripture, and and I think it's laboring to see the consistency through the scripture. So when we read through Exodus, we don't just see, you know, God crushing Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea with his, you know, bringing judgment down upon them or the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, but we also see <coughs> the grace that that he, you know, he appoints Moses and he chooses his people and he does everything in his power to set them free and he does it. And I don't know if it's just dry in here, but I'm just dying right now. <laughs> totally dying. Yeah. Well, um, and so I'll also say to, to the topic of like justice nowadays after the cross is that <laughs> I think I think justice, there is mercy in justice. And what I mean by that, I, I uh, specifically think about James. I believe it's in James chapter 1 where he talks about suffering. And suffering builds up the endurance of believers and is for our betterment so that we may better know God and better be closer to God. And through, through God's justice, through punishment, through hard times that we endure, brought about because of our sins, um it's better for us Mm -hmm. and it's like i I go back to parenting example because god is like a father (laughs) god is like a father to us parents who never discipline their kids i mean i think you can imagine how the kids turn out i've met some of some of them and (laughs) let me tell you (laughs) not totally well okay i feel like I've really enjoyed this 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 far, and I think there's, to me now, there's this, I don't know, maybe this is the right, but like this thrust towards, okay, if these things are true, and this is, you know, this is the reality of Christ, what he did on the cross, this is how God acts, this is who God is, is, you know, justice and mercy. How does, how does this, how do we see kind of failings in the church and in society at large, how do we see these, these, you know, this balance? How do we see this balance being failed at? And, and then of course, what are the, you know, imp- after that, after kind of that conversation, definitely, then what is, what's the problems with overemphasizing, you know, as, as Andrew has put it, you know, over, over, overemphasizing mercy or overemphasizing justice. So I'll bring it back to that first thing I said is what, where are some places in 
society or in the church that we see this imbalance? Would you guys say? I think just immediately, like looking at the overemphasis of mercy, I think that's really prevalent in a lot of churches today. Mm. And it's really prevalent in um, specifically mega churches. I'm not saying every mega church is like that. <laughs> Me and Xavier actually go to, I guess what you call a mega church. But multiple, it's, multiple, it's big. Big. multiple campus. I was oh, reading church. It's, <laughs> it's like multiple campus for long. Yeah, they're splitting up. It's true. But it's um, I think it's like over a thousand. Is technically mm-hmm. a mega church. But anyways, I see kind of a big trend in the mega church movement of overemphasizing God's mercy mm-hmm. and saying God is merciful and He wants to save you, but they shy away from talking about sin mm. and they shy away from talking about God's justice. And if you are missing the, the justice piece, the gospel makes a lot less sense. And in one sense, you say, why do I need to be saved? What do I need to be saved from? And what it does is it creates this kind of imbalance in your mind where you almost think that God owes you mercy, mm. which doesn't make any sense at all because mercy by necessity is something that you don't deserve mm-hmm. or is something that mm-hmm. isn't owed to you. And what happens is people start substituting things in the place for sin. I've, I've noticed this happening. So a lot of mega churches will have um, kind of their altar call thing. What they do in the traditional place where people would talk about sin is they talk about issues that people have. They say, you know, your life is so empty without Jesus or mm. Jesus is going to save you from loneliness or depression or all these sorts of things. When in reality, the gospel never promises that. It promises to save you from sin. Yeah. And you can see this in every single time that Jesus talked about, um, talked to people. When he's super merciful, he always brings up sin. Like when he's talking to the woman at the well, he offers her this living water or she'll never have to thirst again. But at the same time, Jesus says, you've had five husbands. Hmm. And he confronts her about her sin. Same thing with the woman um, being stoned for adultery. He says, go and sin no more. And every single time you see Jesus talk about mercy, he always brings up sin. Hmm. And um, that's the thing with the two people at the temple steps, right? The difference between the righteous man and the one who went home justified. The one who went home justified said, have mercy on me, a sinner, because he acknowledges his sin and and sees where mercy is. And um, the fear that I have here at Bethel is that we're kind of falling into that trope. And um, people don't talk about sin as much. And it actually feels like a really uncomfortable conversation because it is. I don't want to go on too long here, but... (laughs) No, that was was so good. That was so good. I've got a good example here from... Jeremiah, right? So it's like these people in Jeremiah's time were basically proclaiming healing when there was no healing. This is Jeremiah 6, 14. It says, They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, Peace, peace, but there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of their abomination they have done? They were not ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, 
they shall be cast down, says the Lord. And it's like, these people were doing things and they were saying, guys, God is healing you. There's peace. There's security. God is merciful and all this stuff. But these people were saying it superficially and people were loving it. But when Jeremiah tried to talk about sin, uh, it didn't go over so well. It says this, when Jeremiah finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him, this is what was really on God's heart. And he um, spoke to all the people, the priests and the prophets, and all the people seized him saying, you must die. Mm. And you think about sin is a very unpopular thing to talk about. And it's very easy to say that God is merciful and he's ready to forgive you, but people never want to talk about sin. Just another Mm. example that came to my mind, the feeding of the 5,000. Everyone was willing and ready to receive the bread, and they followed Jesus for it. But then when he declared himself as the bread of life mm-hmm. that they needed, they, they left. Hey, Anti-Folly listeners, just wanted to notify you. We're going to do two parts for this podcast. It was too jam-packed full of goodness. And it's kind of cut off at an awkward time, but we'll pick this back up um, next week for episode 12. Thank you for listening to this part one. Um, We hope to hear you, hear from you again in this second part. All right. Thank you.